0: Chapter Forty-One of White Rose of Weary Leaf by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Forty-One. Amy stumbled along the passages, whose very walls seemed to her to reel as she passed, and mounted the great staircase. While each grade of the short flight she had to go down again to attain her own room in the older part of the house rose and slapped the soles of her feet her nostrils were assailed by the smell of the Sunday roast. "'They will not keep that door shut,' she thought angrily, domestically efficient even in her anguish. She had met various cheerful people on their way to partake of it on her way up the staircase. Mrs. Bowman trundled along, buttoning the last button of her cuff. Amy stopped and offered to do it up for her. As the girl was so occupied, Lady Medrow pottered past, stealing a glance at a side mirror. They both tenderly kissed her again. Their twin kisses burned on her cheek. She heard Arina's happy prattle on the landing above her. She did not turn. Oh, Amy, wait for me, the little spoilt child wailed. You are unkind. She had little blue bows looping up the shoulders of her Sunday pinafore, an old-fashioned mode that Amy affected for her, The ends of her yellow hair curled round Amy's fingers. Amy knew that she had taught them. She would have had to stop and kiss her if she stayed, and all that was over. She knew that she was not reasonable, that her feelings were running counter to all her theories. She had not dreamed that an old-fashioned, traditional sentiment could so sway her. She knew she was as fit as anyone else to kiss Erina, and yet she could not bring herself to do it. She knew the old ladies loved her for services rendered. Their affection irked her as much as if she had been into their rooms and stolen their jewels. About three o'clock there came a knock at her door, and in response to her tart question, Mr. Johnson declared himself, and requested an interview with her. She had not seen the sympathy and compassion on his face an hour ago, when he had looked into the study and surprised her in the arms of Jeremy Dand she confounded him with his wife, her enemy, and replied to him rudely and curtly. She, however, knew she had better see him, and tell him of her resolve. "'Come in, come in, and shut the door.' "'I have had some difficulty in giving my lady-wife the slip,' he said hurriedly, "'but I felt I must see you. I have a communication to make to you, apropos of a conversation Melisande and I have been having. But first of all, How are you? Better, I hope? She stole a quick glance at him. Was his diagnosis of her faint the same as Mr. Dan's? She would not be in a hurry to lay down her arms, to give up her cause all along the line. There would be some desultory shooting yet at certain points. She replied gravely, I am all right now, thank you, Mr. Johnson. That was a nasty faint of yours. Quite sudden, wasn't it? I was just going to speak to you in the library when you seemed to fall and crumble away at my feet. And took the wind out of your sails, eh? she replied. So that was why you refrained. Refrained from what? From threatening me, from denouncing me in your usual charming fashion. Oh, I assure you, since I have lived here, I have got quite used to living in the crater. I have even built a garden in it. But so many times the pitcher goes to the well— YOU THINK I AM GOING TO DENOUNCE YOU? WELL, ARE YOU NOT? I TELL YOU, YOU HAVE HARDENED ME TO IT. MISS Stevens. YOU ARE NOT YOURSELF. I THINK WHEN YOU HAVE HEARD WHAT I HAVE TO SAY THAT YOU WILL BE SORRY FOR HAVING TAKEN THIS TONE WITH ME. I AM SORRY NOW, SHE SAID wearily. I BEG YOUR PARDON. I AM, AS YOU SAY, A POOR CORNERED RAT. I NATURALLY ASSUMED THAT YOUR WIFE HAD STIRRED YOU UP TO MAKE FRESH TROUBLE FOR ME. "'Ah, my wife. Well, you see, Miss Stevens, women will take their own line in these matters. One can't prevent them. Melisande and I have come to an arrangement of sorts. But we won't speak of her just now. You and I, Miss Stevens, have agreed to bury the hatchet. We are friends, fast friends. I am very sorry for you. Much as I disapprove of certain details of your conduct, I hope that I have sufficient imagination to see that there may be—' there are excuses for you. The whole situation is abnormal, morbid, as Melisande says to a degree. You have talked me over you two? I'm afraid we have, she insisted. Of course, as she says, I ought to be ashamed of even so slightly conniving at—I did not even dare to tell her what I saw just now. Don't, for goodness' sake, connive, then. Expose me. What was it you saw just now?' you in his arms. Ah, just after he had told me. Well, it was excusable under the circumstances. I am not criticizing either of you, Miss Stevens. I may say I am too loyal for that. His expression changed to the hungry, puzzled look of a digger for literary treasure. But one thing I could not, I confess, fit in with my knowledge of the general drift of our friend's character. I really could not bring the expression into line at all. He was soothing you, caressing your hair. Don't! And his words to you were, or seemed to be, "'Stick it out, old girl,' or some such phrase. Now, as an author, one is distinctly interested in this drop into slangy phraseology, under the influence of strong emotion. "'I refuse to explain it,' said Amy, smiling. "'No matter.' The artist must be content, as usual, to construct from the merest shreds of testimony. But to business, your business. Remember this, Miss Stevens. I shall never expose you, even if I don't understand, and that's a rather impossible contingency. Rightly, or, as I fear, wrongly, your cause and Jeremy's is my cause, when I think that in some sort I am responsible for it all. She stared. You? "'I mean my non-fulfilment of the wish expressed in Sir Mervyn Diamond's will.' "'Good God!' said Amy, and that was all she said. "'And moreover,' continued the author, with touching reference to a brother artist, "'there may be, there is, a morality above that which ordinary persons are called upon to practice. Maeterlinck says so. And a man of Jeremy's commanding intellect is above law, so I always thought.' "'Excuse me if I am vague, but I have a headache. I have had a little scene with my wife. Miss Stevens, just take it that I, personally, am your friend. And how about your wife?' "'Ah, there's the rub. It was my wife saw you at Blois.' "'And since when may a woman not go to Blois?' "'Ah, but I am afraid there is no getting out of it that way, my wife says under highly questionable circumstances.' What else does your wife expect when I am concerned? You are bitter, Miss Stevens, but bluff as you like, there is evidence to prove that you were not alone. I seldom am Mr. Dan took you to Blois in the motor from Oldfort one Saturday. He domiciled you at Mrs. Gray's at number Twenty North Street, where you stayed three weeks and where Jeremy joined you on Saturdays to Mondays. How does Mrs. Johnson know that? am i to tell you all the unfortunate series of coincidences which led to your identification as mr dan's companion well here you are my wife's mother's servant happens to be the intimate friend crony gossip if you like of mrs gray and was in her house all the afternoon of sunday the twenty ninth of september she is caught out there for i was alone as it happens and if you make inquiries you will find that Mr. Dand was here, safe in the bosom of his family. Yes, that is so. For some reason, best known to yourselves, he left you that Saturday night. But he came back again at twelve o'clock on Monday morning, and you left together on Tuesday. I see that the reputation of Blois for gossip and old cats is deserved. You are wasting time in fencing with me, you really are, Miss Stevens.' can't you honestly look on me as your friend i mean to be i have worked for you in defiance of conventions i have stopped my wife's mouth clever man but only on one condition she bore it very well it was you confess rather an eye-opener for a bride in her first month to be told that such terrible things exist and i maintain that she has shown a very enlightened spirit about it of course i mould her well, the condition is a very obvious one. She has promised to hold her tongue, if she has not talked in Blois, and was only on seeing you that she connected you and our host, and no one thinks anything of what he does in Blois. He is privileged to be queer. She won't say anything about what she has noticed, if you, on the other hand, will engage to go quietly away from this house, and put an end to, a, extricate yourself from an untenable position.' it is a horrible, unjustifiable state of things. That scene to-day! I am not a narrow-minded man, but even I! I may as well tell you that yesterday was the first time I have been alone with Mr. Dand, since my return from Blois. I am glad you have told me that, and of course I believe you,' said Johnson earnestly. "'You are a very strange, a most remarkable woman, and Jeremy is a very remarkable man.' I can imagine that if fate had thought fit to give you two to each other in the first instance, you would have proved a very well-assorted couple. "'You are wrong,' said Amy. "'We are by no means made for each other.' "'Then what an extraordinary!' "'But though we jar,' she continued, "'we sympathize in one thing. Neither of us is ordinary. Unlike flew to unlike. What you will, it is no use trying to explain things.' "'It would interest me, psychologically. Ah, but I am not going to offer myself up to you for mental vivisection. What I have done, I have done, and the God that perhaps made me knows. I know I have fought like the devil, and I have been conquered. I should say that I had been unfairly treated among you all, if I didn't call myself a philosopher. The world has been unsatisfactory enough for me. No one has ever been really kind except to be cruel after.' no one has ever really loved me. Perhaps you, on your side, have never let yourself love anyone. You are an Amazon, and ought to have been christened Hippolyta. Clever of you, Mr. Johnson, and I have no doubt you are right, in a way. I believe I once loved a boy of sixteen, best of all, because he never gave me any unhappiness, but, as you would say, love without bitterness isn't love.' "'Sweet love, that art so bitter. I wish I had loved Jeremy. Then I should at all events have had a good time and been hanged, when it came to an end, as all things do, for a sheep instead of a lamb. And he does not love me. Don't you believe it? He never did. Don't I know? And so do you, for you know a thing or two, Mr. Johnson, for all you are so determined to stick it down in print. And you have been kind to me.' you mean to be kind anyway, and I ought to be more grateful. But I can't help it. I am not, and I seem to hate you all.' "'Never mind,' said the little man gently. "'It is natural in your position. Everyone seems against you. They have to be. And it is hard that it should fall on me, who am quite strangely fond of you.' Amy had the weary smile of Mona Lisa in listening to this admission on the part of the husband of Melisande to bully you and constrain you. For go you must. Oh, yes, I'll go. I was going anyhow. You sneer. You don't believe me? It is difficult to believe such an announcement, coming hard on my threat. It is so, nevertheless. I took my resolution to leave Swarland at precisely one o'clock this day. Believe me or not, as you like. As a matter of fact, my health has quite broken down, "'I cannot stand the work of this house. Everything is put on my shoulders, and, as you observe, they are not quite broad enough. I am driven to feminine protests, fainting about the house, and so on. Now will you go, dear Mr. Johnson, and thank you. You see, I am quite amenable, delighted to oblige you by going. Personally, I shall be glad to get out of this and into healthy town life again. I expect I shall be able to leave in a few days.' You don't want me to go at once, do you? Because if I do so, people might talk, and think I had been sent away. We must avoid that.' "'Quite so. Will you, if you will give me the address of the place in London that you go to, after, I will try—I might be able—I have a literary connection—to find you something to do?' "'A secretaryship. Sleep-out kind of thing, do you mean?' "'Oh, yes.' It would never do to introduce me into a private house as one of the family again. I can never get back to that, can I, do you think? But if I keep myself quite, quite respectable, perhaps my dear Erinna will be allowed to come and see me when she is married, say. Not that it's much use counting on children remembering one. They are so proverbially ungrateful. I'm afraid I had better make up my mind to forget her." there was a pause, in which Amy was obviously conning over to herself the charms of Jeremy Dan's daughter, and mentally lavishing expressions of endearment on her. Then she sat up with a jerk and addressed a remark, to herself. Afterwards, Mr. Johnson affirmed that all through this interview Amy had not been quite normal. She had scolded herself aloud, "'Shut up, Amy, you little fool!' Very gravely she turned to the author. Do you know, Mr. Johnson, you were quite wrong that first time you accused me. I was straight enough till I came here, and went to Blois in Mr. Dan's motor six weeks after the accident. That did it all. To think that an accident, a few people killed, such a little thing, just a foot put down hard on a few wretched ants crawling about their business, and yet how it dwarfs everything that comes after. Yes, it was that night, and nothing else that did for me. Have you ever seen the scene after a railway accident, Mr. Johnson? No? Good for you. I don't believe you would even keep true to Melisande after living through an experience like mine. They've never done it on any stage, or in any novel, either. Hell for four hours or so. I have never told a single soul about it, or the effect it had on me. A moral effect, of course. It makes me stark staring wicked, if you like, or at any rate careless. I ask you, what did it matter what Jeremy and I did, when nature went and did that? Blind and stupid and cruel, like a schoolboy pulling the legs off flies. Why should we flies try to be good and clever? We didn't try. At least I didn't. I just let myself go. And Jeremy took me. I am neglecting to thank you, Mr. Johnson, for your kind offer of help. I think, however, I would rather start afresh, that is, if I survive, the wrench,' she added hastily. "'It will be a wrench, you know, to leave this and the child.' "'Miss Stevens, you are extremely plucky, but I still think you should in the last resort have someone to refer to, some strong man. You must give me some clue to your future.' "'No,' I shall prefer to strike out some new line for myself, after. And you see, it would hamper me considerably if you, dear Mr. Johnson, and Mrs. Johnson, we must not forget her, had the power of heading me off again. So, thank you all the same, I'll see myself through this time. Stop, don't rush off like that. Indeed, I am grateful to you. This has been a most interesting and useful conversation that we have had. I prefer to deal with men always." "'Women are so apt to be cats. "'I never do really get on with them.' "'You are surely not thinking of Melisande?' inquired Mr. Johnson anxiously. "'No, not particularly. "'She's done me no good, but no harm either. "'It's like this. "'The Fates have refused to work with Melisande. "'They have done without her cooperation. "'You won't understand that, and I don't mean you to. "'You are not in my counsels. "'No one is, not a soul.' Not even Jeremy? insinuated Johnson, deprecatingly. No, not even he. I mean he won't know where I am going. You look surprised. I should have thought the relations between you justified a certain amount of intimacy. To have taken a step of that kind together, people usually— You are so conventional, dear Mr. Johnson. I should not have expected it of you. I suppose— IN YOUR IDEA, NOTHING LESS THAN A WILD EXCESS OF PASSION WOULD JUSTIFY MY CONDUCT, EH? DOESN'T IT OCCUR TO YOU THAT A LACK OF THE EMOTION YOU allude TO WOULD BE A VERY GOOD REASON FOR MY BREAKING OFF HERE? SURELY, THINGS HAVE GONE QUITE FAR ENOUGH WITHOUT THE REDEEMING EXCUSE. I COULD TELL YOU, BUT YOU WOULDN'T SEE IT. YOU SEE EVERYTHING JUST NOW IN TERMS OF Melisande. I LOVE Melisande, MY WIFE, AND I AM VERY FOND OF YOU. secretary looked worried. "'There you go!' she exclaimed pitilessly. "'Nice distinctions. How do you know it isn't the other way? You think me indecent to say a thing like that? But I say none of us here know anything about it. It isn't an exact science, or a revelation you get at the city temple. Love is a many-headed sort of god, and some of the kinds you swear by are not it at all. I'll say, if you like.' that it is like the Gospels of Scripture, denied to thousands of those who went before, and to most of those that come after, like me. I suppose if anybody ever wanted a missionary, it was I. Jeremy took no trouble with me, just went his way, assumed that every woman was like another. And so she is, in one way at least. One part of it's sure, my part. You are getting bored, aren't you, with the queer last swan song of Amy Stevens, Mr. Johnson.' "'No matter. You are a kind man, and I have no quarrel with you. I go, and I bear you no malice. You didn't give me away, did you, except to Jeremy, and that was to save him. Funny, and it was you I was afraid of for years, like a loathsome threatened disease. And then I die of something else. Give me your hand, Alec Johnson. You haven't harmed me. Goodbye. His weak grey eyes swam full of devotion as he grasped her hand and, stooping, kissed it. Amy looked gravely down on the place where his lips had been pressed. He could not see the little flash of triumph in her sad eyes. "'Yes, good-bye. Don't go straight back to Melisand from me. Walk about the garden a little, won't you?' "'Why?' Her pretty, consciously feminine laugh stirred him. It was the first time he had heard it so—' He understood Jeremy's craze now to hear her laugh in love. Why not? He repeated, flattered. Oh, if he had taken this beautiful woman and her dower years ago, she might object to you, fresh from me. With one touch of her hand and a thin lance of sweet spite, Amy unhorsed the other woman, as it were, from her seat in the husband's heart for ever and justified her own lover. In the eyes of his friend. End of chapter 41, recorded by Lisa Reichert.